0: All right, well, we are, uh, we're, this is crazy, we're a little bit more than halfway through our Acts series. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series? We've been doing this all summer. Yeah. So today we're, we're in Acts uh, chapter 15, if you can believe it. Uh, so since we're a little bit more than halfway, I want to do a little something different this morning before we go on. Um, I actually just want to do super high level. I want to catch everybody up on what was covered because I want to do that for a very specific reason. Um, if this is your first time here, or if this is your first time in church in a long time, or maybe ever, I want, I want to tell you that I, I can relate to you. Growing up, I didn't, I didn't go to church. I started going to church when I was 21, became a Christian when I was 21. So I went to church one time before that, when I was a kid. And the only thing I remember is I came home with a spray painted gold rock. <laughs> I have no idea the significance of that still to this day. Uh, so uh, I just I want us everybody to be on the same page, and I know starting in the middle of a book can be a little bit confusing. So I want to do this to orient everybody about what's going on in the story. I'm going to start in an event that I think we're all a little familiar with, and that's Jesus' crucifixion, right? So Jesus was crucified at the end of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and um, the Easter story. He didn't, you know, just like we sang the saying song. He came out of the grave. He was resurrected. He spent 40 days on the earth in his resurrected state with his disciples. And then after that, uh, he ascended to heaven. And then shortly after, the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples. And uh, that's really where the book of Acts begins, chapter 1, obviously. Peter preaches the sermon, and 3,000 people get saved and then get baptized. Then for the next few chapters, Peter and John, the disciples, they honestly, they get into a little bit of trouble because they're in Jerusalem and they're, they're preaching, they're performing these miracles, and the, these are important chapters, you guys, because what's happening is up to this point, the, the gospel and this, this message of Jesus has stayed with the disciples, but now Jesus is gone and the Holy Spirit's here, this message is starting to fan out. It's starting to go forth, exactly what Jesus said, and the religious powers that be don't like it. Why don't they like it? Good question. We're going to talk about that in a second. So you skip ahead a little bit to chapter seven, and something really terrible happens in chapter seven. So a little bit before that, um, the disciples say, you know what? Um, We need help. And so they instituted an office of the church called deacons because they needed somebody to help. They needed people to help with the day-to-day, and it's a whole story in itself. It's a whole thing. But Stephen gets chosen as the first deacon. Well, in chapter 7, this is really terrible, but Stephen becomes the first martyr for his faith. Um, Stephen was accused of blasphemy by the Pharisees, and he was actually stoned to death. So this is interesting because this is the first martyr that we have in our faith, but also this is interesting because we see what the Pharisees are capable of. We see how far they're willing to go for what they believe. They are literally willing to kill for what they believe. And so now we come to a fork in the road. Up to this point, it's been kind of like this little, you know, almost this story, and it's affecting a few people, but now it's getting to be a bigger deal. Now a man has been killed, and so now we're at this fork in the road, and the fork is, will this go on? Will this new movement, which later is going to be called Christianity, is it going to come to a screeching halt because Stephen's been murdered, or is it going to persist? Well... It kind of backfired on the Pharisee because what happened is this persecution pushed the gospel out even more. It went to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. We see the Samaritans come into faith. Um, But here's the problem. In order for it to go further, because Jesus said you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. For that to happen, something special needed to happen and something special did happen. In chapter 9, God takes somebody who is persecuting Christians. Um, This guy's name was Saul. He was the one that gave the green light for Stephen to be killed. So he was literally there. He was the one that said, yep, do it. He takes Saul, and we have a whole message on this on our website. He takes Saul. He has this radical transformation, comes to Christianity. He changes his name to Paul. And guess who becomes the first missionary? Paul. Of all the people, Paul. And so... Um, this is this is really amazing because he becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. Now, if you if you don't know that word, it's okay. The Gentiles is basically meaning non-Jewish people. So you have the Israelites, the Jewish people, and then you have the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And Paul, of all people, becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. So uh, it's we have a story about Paul and, and their first missionary journey, him and, and Barnabas go. So at the end of Acts chapter 14, um, Paul and Barnabas, they return home, okay? And they're telling people, yeah, this, this is great. They're reporting all the amazing things God has done. There were some hardships in there. JR talked about that two weeks ago, um, but God used it for good. So things started going well. More and more people were coming to faith. So here's a question. How many people in the story, how many people think the ministry gets easier and the mission goes smoother? yes that is correct this is another fork in the road this is this brings us up to today acts chapter 15 and so before we go i i want to ask you a question now this is going to be really rhetorical how many people have ever seen a boxing match okay now how many have ever seen one in person oh interesting okay yeah um I've never seen one in person. Uh, a guy on my team at work, he, he was actually a champion, a boxing champion in the Northwest, so that's about the closest I get. So I'm sure you're all aware that in a boxing match, each boxer has their own corner, right? Opposite sides of the ring, and that's where they start from, that's where they get rest from. Well, in this chapter, in Acts chapter 15, we have a metaphorical boxing match because we have two groups on either side, and they're not fighting for a title and they're not fighting for a belt. They're fighting for an answer to the question. And the question is, what does it take to become a Christian? That's the question they're fighting over. Now, here's a side note. Do you ever, like, do you ever read some parts of the Bible, maybe Acts chapter 15, and you think, what does this have to do with me? How, how is this going to help me parent my kid? Or how, how is this going to help me become a better employee at work? Maybe I'm the only one. But I sometimes read passages and I think that Acts chapter 15 is one of the most pivotal chapters in our faith. Seriously. And if you don't know the end of the story, um, I'm just going to tell you, spoiler alert, you probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this chapter. And I'm going to tell you why. All right, so two groups of our little boxing match. Group number one, we have a group called the Believing Pharisees. Everybody say Believing Pharisees. Believing Pharisees. Good. This is a group that they're... I call, they're stuck in the land in between. So they, they're a group of Pharisees, they're re, these religious leaders, but they believe in Jesus and this new movement that's happening. So that's good. But they're still stuck in the Old Testament. They're, they're still stuck in this belief that you have to become Jewish and obey the law to become a Christian. So they're, they're in this land in between. Corey talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 10. But the the way that the New Testament refers to these people, if you've never heard this, hold on. Um, They're referred to as the circumcision party. If this was a Facebook event, nobody would come. I don't know who brainstormed this, but they need to try harder. So don't make t-shirts with that group name, please. So um, this was a group of people that believed that in order to become a Christian, you have to get circumcised. And they were referencing the Old Testament because it started with Abraham. And in the Old Testament, this was legit. I mean, this was a way that God marked his people, identified his people, and they they got culture and identity. But as you can imagine, this is going to create some tension for you if you're a modern day adult male and you want to become, you want to have faith in Jesus. And now they're telling you, all right, well, you got to attend Growth Track 101. And there's a little part to orientation that you have to do. That's going to create some awkwardness. Uh, so group, that's group number one, circumcision party. Group number two are boys, Paul and Peter. They were not in the land in between. They had a really simple message. They said, we are saved by grace, period. Not by circumcision, not by keeping the law or anything we can do. We are saved by grace, period. All right, so now we got our two groups. And like any boxing match, how many matches does a boxing match go? Three, three. Is it, If it's not three, this is really going to wreck my message. We'll say three. Three. All right, here we go. It's three. You're like, you've never seen one. What do you? Why? Anyway. All right. So this is what happened. Acts fifteen. So the circumcision party. They sent a delegation from southern Jerusalem up three hundred miles to Antioch. Because this is what was happening. Paul and Barnabas were there. They were preaching there for a year. All these Gentiles were coming to faith. And all this all this movement was happening. But the religious leaders didn't like it. Because Paul and Barnabas's message was, you don't need to be Jewish in order to have this faith. And so the Pharisees did not like it. Um, I'm actually going to skip ahead for a second. And I want to go to Galatians chapter 2. Because I want to show you what these Pharisees were teaching in Antioch. This is Paul writing. He says... Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul is talking about the Pharisees, and he's, he's taken their position pretty seriously. I mean, he's calling them false brothers, and he says he didn't yield. Now, this is really interesting. I want to show you what happened because um, Paul... Peter, Barnabas, they were all in group two, right? They were all like, no, we're saved by grace. Check out what happens. What happens is somehow, the text doesn't say, but somehow the Pharisees, this is amazing, the Pharisees convinced Peter to switch sides. Do you know that? The Pharisees convinced Peter to switch sides. The Pharisees convinced Barnabas to switch sides. And now, look ahead a little bit in Galatians chapter 2, 11. And there's a lot of pronouns here, so I'm just going to use names. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face because Peter stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Everything was good. But when the Pharisees came, Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, along with Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So whatever the Pharisees did, whatever the Pharisees said, Peter and Barnabas were like, whoa, I'm switching sides. And Paul was like, uh-uh, not happening. And so I don't, I don't know why Peter would do this. The text doesn't say, but if you remember what we talked about in Acts chapter 11, God gave Peter this incredible supernatural vision. We talked about it a few weeks before where he saw this sheet and there was all these animals on it. And God says, eat the animals. And Peter was like, no, 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 I I can't eat what's unclean because of Old Testament laws. And God said, do not call unclean what I have said clean. Here's the translation. Everybody's welcome. Jew, Gentile, everybody's welcome. And so then Peter said, cool, great, I'm in. But now something happened there And he got afraid. So Paul was like, no, 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 we're not going back. So that's where we are. That's the history. So now here's round one. The circumcision party comes out and they said this. Acts chapter 15, verse five. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. All right. So I'm a pretty simple guy. To make this really simple, this is what the circumcision party is saying, that in order to believe in Jesus, so believing in Jesus plus circumcision plus law-keeping equals salvation. Now, I honestly, like, even when I wrote this, I'm like, what, what did that add? Like, if, if you're a Jewish person back then, what did that add to your faith? Like, seriously, because, like, you're, you're familiar with the second two. Like, as a Jewish person, you're familiar with circumcision. You're familiar with keeping the laws. That is your way to God. But now, it's like, okay, well, we believe in Jesus, and so, so there's that too. Like, if you're a Jewish person, that, that doesn't add anything. It, like, it doesn't make it easier. It's just another thing. And now, think about this. If we just paused and everybody went to lunch, if this was the way it is, how different would your life be? How different would your life be if that was the formula? But good news—it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Round one, we're going to give the circumcision party. We're just—we're going to give that to him. So round two, Peter gets up and he starts reminding them of his experience. So here's a little—a little thing in organizational leadership. They say that um, oftentimes the CEO you actually have another job and your job is the CRO. In addition to the chief executive officer, you need to be the chief reminding officer because vision leaks. And so you need to keep reminding people where you're at, where you're going. You keep, need to keep reminding people of the vision. So that's what Peter is doing. He's being the chief reminding officer at this moment. So check this out. Verse six, he says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And now keeping with the boxing analogy, here's Peter's uppercut. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Boom. Mic drop. So instead of this formula of believing in Jesus plus circumcision plus law keeping equals salvation... Peter's saying the true formula is believing in Jesus equals salvation. That is why this message was so revolutionary. Because now it wasn't on all the laws you keep or on, on physical things you do to your body. And now it was believing in Jesus equals salvation. He was saying, you don't need to become Jewish to become saved. Believing in Christ will save you, period. Becoming Jewish won't save you. And your good works won't save you. Now ahead, I want to skip ahead to Galatians again, because Paul addresses this. He says, in Galatians 2, he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul and Peter, they want to make it really clear, we're not saved by works or cultural identity. We are saved by God's grace. This is important because we are saved and then we do good works as a fruit of our salvation. I want to dig into this a little bit before we go on in Acts. And in Ephesians, another letter that Paul wrote, he says this, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is important because it's important for us to know present day that we were created for good works. Like if if you're a Christian today and you're saying, well, I, I don't contribute positively to, to my world, then I might question like, hey, let, let's chat because you have a gift inside of you that the world needs right now. And what we're saying is that we're, we're created for good works, but listen to this, we're not saved by them. If you say like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I... I serve every week at God's love. I say, fantastic! Thank you for serving every week at God's love. That is absolutely needed, but it doesn't equal salvation. Um, because here's here's the truth. I I thought when I before I was a Christian, I thought like I die and then I'm going to go up to some escalator and there's going to be clouds and smoke and there's going to be a guy with wings and he's going to have a book in front of him and he's going to say, okay, here's the good works Tyler did and here's the bad works Tyler did. And I lived my life hoping that the good would outweigh the bad. And if that happened, something good happens and I don't go to the scary place. That was my thinking. Well, I mean, it sounds good. It sounds good for a movie, but it's just not biblical truth, right? Because the truth is, um, after Acts, Paul writes this book called Romans. It was a letter. And he goes into this really huge amount of detail. And he says, listen. All of the good works you do, all of the good, all the serving at God's love, all the money you give, all that stuff is great. But God is so holy that he views that as filthy rags. And because of that, and because of your sin, you need a substitution that you can't do on your own. And that is where Jesus comes in the picture because Jesus was perfect. And he says, so you need to accept the substitution that Jesus did on the cross for your sin and that is basically the first half of Romans. So that's like bonus for you right now. So the, the important thing is, is that with Jesus's uh, crucifixion and his death, God doesn't need Jesus's substitution plus circumcision or plus your good deeds. He needs you to say yes to Jesus. That's what he says. So that was round two. That was round two. Peter and Paul come out swinging, right? And so we're going to give this one, well, we're going to give it to Peter. Paul had a nice little sub-note, but we're going to give it to Peter. So like any good boxing match, this one's going to go three rounds. So I want you to watch what happens. In Acts 15, chapter 12, Peter says all this stuff. He's be the chief reminding officer. And then uh, verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent. They're like in this debate. And Peter says, hey, remember what happened? They don't say a word. The circumcision party doesn't say a word. And then they listen to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Peter does it, and then Paul and Barnabas was like, oh yeah, yeah, you want more? Here's what God did through us. I love that, because the circumcision party didn't have, any, they didn't have anything to say. And so then after that, as if that's not enough, James, who is the brother of Jesus, was, who was a little bit skeptical in the beginning, he comes out and he says this. Verse 13. Brothers, listen to me. Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. You guys... I know that's like a lot of Old Testament, but this is, this is amazing because let me just give you a little bit of context. James is quoting the Old Testament to a group of Pharisees who are experts in the Old Testament. So it's like watching, you know, Top Gun 20 times and then having somebody quote it back to you. That's what he's doing. He's quoting the Old Testament to a group of Old Testament people to say, listen, this is what's going on. And he's reminding people from this obscure verse in Amos, he's reminding people that not only are the Gentiles welcome, but that God always planned to rebuild the Israelites through the Gentiles. If you take a second and let this settle in, like, the Israelites were thinking, like, no, 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 we're, we're special. Because we've been Jewish from birth, or we became Jewish, and the Gentiles, they're, they're like, the Jewish, they're, they're being like the mean girls. Like, they're, we're not letting them at the table. They're not sitting at the table. And so Paul and Peter are saying, no, actually, not only do they get a seat at the table, but this was always the plan. From the beginning of time, this was the plan. That God would rebuild the Jewish people through non-Jewish people. And that everybody was welcome. You don't have to become Jewish. You have to be a Christ follower. That is why Acts 15 is so pivotal to our faith this morning. So, James reminded everybody that the church is the fulfillment of Israel, and this is God's plan. So, this is interesting because, like, there's no, you, know, you might think, well, God had a plan to bring the Jewish people to faith, and then God had a plan for the non-Jewish people. No, no, no. This is it. This is a the plan. There's no other plan. This, this is it. All right, so, who wins? Round one, we're going to give it to the circumcision party. Round two, we're going to give that one to Peter. Round three, grace wins. Really, grace wins. Because the truth is, thousands of years ago, just like today, to become a Christ follower, you don't need one cultural identity or another. You don't need to have your good deeds outweigh your bad because it's not going to happen. You need to be forgiven by Jesus. That's what you need. And it's amazing. Oh, man, I love the end of the story. Because it's amazing how much grace is at the end of this story. Because Paul won. Peter and Paul won. They have a message of grace. They win. But I want you to look at the grace at the end. James continues in Acts 15, and he's talking about the Gentiles. He says, The Gentiles should, verse 20, abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. What he's saying is he's saying that the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, are to respect the Jewish customs. that, That this is... It's not going to be a thing that's going to save them, but this is is a cultural compromise to honor the people. It's a cultural compromise. It's not a gospel compromise. And that's just so loving and graciousness to a group of people that you might not agree with. I just love that. So the match was over, okay? Story wraps up, and it tells us that from that meeting, from this debate, a letter was drafted of everything that was talked about in the decision, and the final position, and that was sent to Antioch. And I want to show you verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And it goes on to say what the letter was. This is interesting because how many people have ever sent an angry email or text message? Okay, you're... Mm-hmm. I'm thinking some people are not raising their hands. Good for you. I definitely have done that. And you know how like that angry text message or letter might not be received with the tone you intended? I think that's what's happening here. There's a letter that's pretty significant and they could have sent the the papyrus scroll onto Antioch, but they didn't. I mean, they sent it, yes, but they sent it with people to read it. And that's so interesting. So verse 30. So when they were sent off, because there's a nice little ribbon on it, and like it's a good Hallmark movie, and we can go away encouraged, but that's not how the story ends. That's how that decision came to be. That's a large part of the reason you're here today, is because of Acts chapter 15, but this story doesn't end happy. Unfortunately, this is what happened. Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they're going to do like a follow-up tour. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. This is a sad verse. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Don't know what it was. Don't know how it happened. But Barnabas was the guy, remember, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul had his experience, he went back to the disciples. Barnabas is the one that vouched for Paul. And so they've been inseparable ever since. But whatever that subtext was, the sharp disagreement, we're going to see ripples of that in the weeks to come. But that's how that story ends. So I think a takeaway from our story today is, as I said, um, this series has been so great because it's just revisiting our history, revisiting our faith. And you guys, if Acts chapter 15 hadn't happened, this room would look dramatically different. Our faith, the picture of our faith on the world would look dramatically different. The reason we are here is because somebody was bold enough to stand up and say, listen, I know that's the way it was. But I'm willing, because they could have been killed, talking to the Pharisees, I'm willing to do something about this, and that's good news for us. That's good news for all the people in your world, your family, your friends, Helena, Montana, United States, planet Earth, that is good news for us today, because there's not cultural markers that we have to align with, and we're not going to be able to have our good outweigh our bad. We are here today because of the truth that grace always wins, period. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, we thank you, God, for the truth that grace always wins, Lord. It was your plan from the beginning that we would be reconciled and have a way back to you, God. And so I just pray uh, for everybody in the room. I pray for everybody listening online, God, that um, if they have not experienced that moment where they come to you and say, Jesus, I, I accept what you did on the cross. Forgive my sin. God, I, get, I, I ask for boldness for them to do that, God. I ask for boldness for them to tell somebody that they've had that, God. And, and Lord, if we can come alongside them as a group of believers, we would love that, Father. Just thank you for this group of people, and God, and I pray a blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we, uh, that's the end of our service, and we've got a fantastic prayer team that would love to pray with you for any of the needs you have. Hope you have a great day.